Sales Stories, Raw and Real is a podcast series designed to help people in business development, whatever their level, by learning from the experiences of others. We'll be talking about the salespeople they've met, led and worked with, and share their insights into what we need to do more of and less of. You'll hear the very best and worst of people's experiences to help you recognize the traps that we've all fallen into, get through them, and out the other side, having learned what you needed to along the way. G'day, everybody. It's Charlie here again. Today on your podcast, Sales Stories Raw and Real, I'm talking with John Alton. John Alton has been a friend of mine for, I think, nearly 30 years, over 30 years, in fact. And John has had a long and arduous and sometimes successful career in sales, not unlike lots of people out there, including myself. Welcome, John. Thanks, Charlie. Good to be here. And, and, and thank you very much for joining us. John, can I start just by asking you, um, how did you start in sales? Yeah, good question. Well, it was actually when you, know, you and I met at university and um, it was in my last year at uni that I um, started doing some looking for a job. Uh, a girl that a mutual friend of ours that I was living with at the time or sharing a house. Her father offered me a job in his sort of fabrication business slash agricultural machinery type or equipment type business. And that's where I, um, when I left uni or finished up study, I went and worked um, for, for that family business. I think to be fair, you finished university before I did. Um, because maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> we could actually, yeah, right. go back and have a look what year we, we could. We could got our certificates. Or John, can, yep. can you share with me, like, what? So that's your first, that's your start. Yep. But but your thinking around sales and your business development, where did that come from? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, you know, I suppose it started at that first first point working for this family owned business where you know I was not, a sale. Not before. No, I suppose it would have done, yeah, because I, as a kid growing up, I worked numerous jobs like a milk run, um, uh, paper shop, you know, delivering papers, but also behind the counter in a news agency locally at home in at Dubbo where I grew up. Yeah. And, um, you know, the art of sales, I suppose, I would have picked up from, you know, old Joe Snare, who I worked for and, okay. um, and his, his, his kids yep. um, because that was a family business as well in itself. My father was also in sales, so um, he was um, he'd come up, growing his career um, very much from a sales basis. Um, he immigrated from the UK as a ten pound pom and um, was a sales and service type rep as one of his yeah. first jobs. And he progressed to like a state manager, to a general manager, and marketing manager. So that's what I was looking for. Actually, yeah. How, how much did how much did that shape your ease or direction into sales like oh, did, think, do you have any yeah have any think, sense of that yeah hugely yeah. I mean, my sister always says that you know that she she has the belief that you know we're born sort of sales people but i and you know you learn stuff but i think it's it's also in the personality of the person yeah that that yeah. sort of progression into into sales you you're either you know the old extrovert introvert type thing i'm probably sitting in the middle bit of both yeah. but um certainly my father was probably a strong influence on my my yeah. career definitely, you know, I lost him in a car accident when I was, yeah, you know, 17. And, um, but we were at a stage of life where we were mate and mate, not necessarily yeah. father son sort of thing. Yeah. So that, 
I, I think I missed out a bit on formative stuff in, in that, that aspect later on where I didn't have someone that I could essentially bounce stuff off, which yeah. would have been perfect. Yeah. I'm actually starting to get that from my kids now. <laughs> so um, as they as they move into their their sort of working careers, but um, certainly dad and seeing what dad did, I think had moulded me into, you know, what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go, that sort of thing yeah, as well, certainly. I, that's, that was a digression. But I think it's important yep. because that's who we are, right? Oh, essentially. And um, so, so, so take us back to the fabrication yep. company and, yep. and, and and then your journey after that in, in business development. Sure. So it was a, a company called Rudway Scales. So they made weighing equipment for sheep, cattle, pigs, poultry, not poultry, but pigs, you know, cattle, uh, truck scales, stuff like that. And essentially myself and another guy that we went to uni with, he was in a different college, um, we both became like the full-time salespeople on yeah. the road. And oh, between okay. Tom and myself, we covered Adelaide to Cairns where we would actually be so doing field. fairly young to do that, yeah? Well, what was it? It was 90, 92, so, yeah, 23. 22, 23. So straight out, given a motor vehicle, here's the keys. Go and travel basically rural Australia from Adelaide to Cairns. And, um, and so where you can make of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so between, between Tom and myself, we used to, you know, do country field days. You know, we had um, distributors in your rural towns, whether that was a CRT or an Elders or a Dalgetty Winchcombe back in those days. And um, we'd go on farm. A lot of the products were, you know, demonstration work or we'd actually go and do repairs. So it was like a hands-on job. It was, yeah. and we'd get leads basically from our distributors. The distributor would organize, he'd organise, say, an open day hmm. where we'd actually go and put scales on the floor, demonstrate how they work, talk to people, Things like in, in the early stages, data processes that would collect information. So, mm. you know, it was all manual entry. There wasn't the so, RFID sort of stuff that you've got now where it's automatically loaded. And can I just ask, because whilst you were from Dubbo, you haven't got really a, an agricultural background. You studied ag economics? Yeah. But you weren't, well, you weren't a farmer. So we, to speak. We, no, I, I hadn't come from a farming background. What My about, father what, was what about in. Tom? Tom was from a farming background. Okay. So yeah. you had you had that. Yeah. Um, conversation if you needed to with Tom for that matter, right? Yeah, true. But my father was in agriculture. Yeah. yeah so he'd yeah. been in agriculture all his life basically. Yeah. So I had that familiarity with agriculture from him being in farm machinery, agri yeah. big four-wheel drive tractors, stuff like that that he used to sell mm. um, or businesses that he ran. And um, so that sort of gave me that familiarity with, with agriculture. And I, you know, he, at late in school I did agriculture. Mm. The studies as a as a base. I think I think course. where I was coming from with that is just that my view and and maybe maybe some metropolitan friends won't like this, but the the the, the realness of um, country people, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of whether they're on the land or not. Yeah. Um, you're going to you you're allowed to make far more, far more mistakes, and they're far more open to um, learning from you about yep. your product and teaching you to learn than the pace. The pace of Sydney or other metropolitans perhaps doesn't allow that. True. You've got to have the answers. Yep. Where in, in the country, I think people will work with you on them. I think people are more understanding because of isolation that, that farmers tend to have and yeah. stuff like that. And I suppose over the years, like that we're talking, what, um, 30, 30 years ago now, and um, the availability of information back then wasn't as... as um, as available as what it is today. Like the internet was probably starting back then. 
but um, people relied on, on I, I believe, salespeople a lot more for information and and follow through than um, than what they do tonight today yeah. from from salespeople. So, what are those early years? teach you about people and being a salesperson and and how has that helped you yep. as the commercial director for your current organization um i think just the the engagement with people and being able to converse with them and understand what their pain points are so essentially what what is the issue that they're trying to solve mm. and if you can get to that and solve that you're a long way down the path of, of being successful I'm also a strong believer of if you say you're going to do something, you do it. A lot of a lot of what I've seen over the years in teams that I've managed and stuff like that, people will say they're going to do something but don't necessarily do it. And and I, I think that's a it's in essence a, a big failure of salespeople where they say, oh, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that, but they don't do it. And they get to the next review meeting or catch up and stuff like that. Oh, you're going to do this, and they they haven't do it. So done it. So for me. It's, Did you learn English at university or school? Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, in between drinking sessions, yeah, so, the future. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I, I honestly follow through in sales is is massive. Yeah, you got to you know say if you're going to commit to something, you, you deliver on it. Yeah, you're actually just letting yourself down. You're letting the customer down. Ultimately. So, how long was your first? job outside yep. of universities because I think that's one of the if it's a good one yep. it can really set you up yeah and you've got to go and find that first good one yeah so it was two years yeah right okay. so it was basically 92 93 yeah and then I I ambitious person was looking for I suppose a, a, a what was going to be in my next step and and I knew that in this family business I, was, I wasn't going to be essentially the you know grow into running a business or, or you know being a manager or stuff like that and so I decided to step out and I actually ran, went and worked in a pub for three months yeah, right with the view that I was going to buy into this pub and and so it was a completely different move but then through the network of people that I'd made in the runway role I got a phone call from this the district manager or state manager at the time up in Queensland for uh, Merck Sharp and Dome Animal Health MSD Agvet. And um, Bill said, look, I've got two jobs going, one in Rockhampton, one in Townsville. Would you be interested? And we, we, we'd met at field days. And so I'd got to know Bill and obviously he thought something of me and sought me out and um, and I ended up in Townsville. I decided yeah, to take right. the job because Merck, and I knew a bit about Merck and one of the things that had been related to me about Merck was they trained their people really well. And so I saw it as an opportunity to get into a corporate or multinational, yeah, and so I went to Townsville for two and a half, just over two and a half years, where I was a sales rep on the road, basically from Mackay out to Mount Isa, Northern Territory, the Kimberley, <laughs> and um, yeah, going on large cattle stations. So my, my portfolio was essentially cattle products, horse products, oh. and then I used to do companion animal. So basically, vets from um, in Mackay, Townsville, little country towns, Cairns, Darwin. So how was that different? Um, obviously, you had the the large cattle stations, yep. so, but that would have been different to some of the work that you did at Rats. Oh, I always initially found vets confronting because yeah. these are guys that have done five years of study. They're scientists. They're they're literally a specialised in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And um, and I always found it confronting. But I I always took the view when I went in there that yeah, I, I I can always learn something new from them and and 
not going in trying to know everything and, and being very upfront with if I didn't know something, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Let me, can I take that on notice and, and find out or talk to our technical people? Stuff like that. That mm. just basics, I think, that you 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 don't want to, you know, as a salesperson be, you know, selling a line. It's it's like the follow-through bit, you know. Yeah. Don't try and over and one thing that was instilled in me very early on was the saying, um, under promise, over deliver. Yeah, it's a good name. It is. Yeah. yeah, and and I I very strongly believe in that you know under promise over deliver and then people will remember you for it mm. yeah if you're able to consistently do it with some totally. consistency totally, yeah. so yeah Merck was five years um okay. and i did two roles there so i two and a half years in north queensland and then i uh, got a promotion here into sydney as national account manager so i got came in under the commercial director yeah, right. and basically i was his not two ic but i was his support function from a, this perspective of dealing with um key distributors and doing trading terms and uh, reporting, and but I was also a support function to the state managers as well. So the, the sort of middle person between the commercial director and the state managers, and that was a great learning in itself because the business actually ended up joint venturing with a French company, and so there was a lot of change that happened at that time, and and ended up Merck ended up or MSDA but became Meriel, and um, and we sort of end up standing alone away from Merck at the end of the day as a standalone joint venture business. Talk to us about that move mm-hmm. from on-the-ground customer-facing salesperson yep. to a more of a corporate role. What what was what was the standout for you in that? Like that's that's a that's a jump that many can't land on their feet on. Yeah, yeah. Well it was it was interesting because it was going from the wide open spaces of North Queensland to Sydney and I suppose I was lucky enough that I knew enough about Sydney having grown up at Dubbo and coming to Sydney quite frequently so I knew what Sydney sort of was about and stuff like that but just the the office life going from someone who was in control of their day-to-day stuff five days a week um, and uh, coming into an office type of environment having to learn very quickly dealing with product managers um, customers at a, at a head office level or a state office level as well, yeah, was completely different, and it was yeah. it was something that you know I relied heavily on the district managers, what we referred to them at the time, to um, you know mentor or educate me as well in, in the stuff that was going on in each of the states to allow me to 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 I suppose understand what was going on, plus you know the commercial director who I worked for as well yeah, in the business, right. so. Yeah. But just being, and we were also, because we were part of a pharmaceutical business, you're exposed to so much more in, in that business itself from mm. a training perspective because it wouldn't be just animal health training. It would be, there'd be training courses, whether they were sales like face-to-face selling, um, train-the-trainer type stuff. Yeah. All of that sort of stuff happened with pharmaceutical people as well. So mm. you, you were sort of then, I suppose, sharing experiences um, and making contacts and, and, you know, I think one of the key things with salespeople is you've got to have a strong network, as, mm. as you and I know. You know mm. Your network is is really, at the end of the day, it's like your backbone. It's your strength of, of who you are as well. And, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that as you were talking about the relationships that no doubt you would have developed on the ground mm. and then you move into an office environment, which is you've got to have relationships there too. Yeah. You've got to know... Um, who you can rely on, mm-hmm. um, and and where the crocodiles are, because yeah. um, that's that's what life is like, you know. Yeah, 
So MSD then, and then I um, I I was offered a um, a state manager role with a customer, oh, yeah, a veterinary okay. wholesale business yeah. up in Brisbane. Yeah, right. so I went and did that for twelve months, and that that was a an interesting step out because it was a public listed company here in Australia called Iama, the division of and the business I worked for was the division of Iama. And so I did that for 12 months and then I actually got promoted to national sales manager after 12 months. Yeah, right. And uh, still based in Brisbane. We had warehouses in Sydney, uh, Brisbane, Melbourne and Perth. And, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a sort of another step again around moving into from a supplier to a distributor yeah, type right. of function. Oh, and, right. and the sales proposition was completely different. Yeah. It was, you know, what, you know, moving from more of a technical selling type role, what Merck was, because we had fantastic technical support in what we did, and we were position we positioned ourselves as being technically the most astute in the marketplace, sort of thing. And um, whereas going to a distributor type customer um, or working for a distributor is, you know, it's all about the service that you deliver and that proposition that it's uh, more than product, mm. sort of thing. So mm. the, you know, the other wholesalers have the same product. It comes down to then what your service offering is. Yeah. So that was a challenge in itself to show some sort of differentiation to veterinary practitioners who yeah. are essentially our customer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So how long were you a national sales manager of that? Only 12 months because that business ended up, uh, Iama ended up getting acquired from, um, so I was with them two years. So 12 months as state manager, 12 months as national sales manager. That business ended up getting acquired by um, what was West Farmers. Mm-hmm. to form a company called Landmark. Okay. And they didn't have a veterinary wholesale business, so they didn't see it as being core. And so we were essentially tried to be sold off, um, but the business was wound up in the end and I saw through the sale of product to to a competitor and mm-hmm. that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And then I um, I stepped into the stock feed game. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, as a business manager, sort of um, you could say, you know, uh, Running not the operations, but the the customer facing aspect of a of a stock feed business in privately held stock feed mm. business in in on the Darling Downs of Queensland. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So get to the your, your latest the last five years in building materials in a minute. Yep. I, I just want to explore with you what have all those and we've touched on it, sure, but what have all those experiences taught you about sales? Yeah, and businesses and differentiation mm-hmm. and USPs and those sorts of things. What are, what have you learned? Because you know we had a little giggle before about the fact that you're educated and qualified. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but but I guess this the, the, and the other the follow up to that is how, how do you integrate the theory of learning mm-hmm. of from a textbook yep. to the practical realities of running sales teams. And talking to customers. Well, I my my view of that question, Charlie, is, and, and I get asked it a lot because people go, "You went from twenty five years in agriculture, and now you're in building in the construction game or building products game." And and my quite often my response is, "Well, the business principles are similar in how the businesses operate and function." Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, running sales teams is is mobilising people, is enabling people to do the job. That they're employed to do and giving them the tools the resources guiding them with the strategy in the right directions and and doing that sort of thing so you know whether it's selling animal health products to cattle farmers or veterinarians it's you know selling now to you know distributors to retailers to installers 
stuff like that is not too dissimilar. Really, the principles are all the, are pretty much the same. Yeah, it's just the technical aspects of yeah. the product. So, a you want someone who's you know obviously technically astute of as a technical sell. Um, but when I look for or sales teams and stuff like that, um, it's it's really about the capability and the the attitude aptitude. Mm-hmm. That's what I really look for is someone who's got the willingness to learn. But also got a bit of um, you know hunter sort of mentality in them that they want to they want to grow what they're and you, you get variation in sales teams. You've got yeah. people who are and this is where the question quite often gets asked about you know promoting people who are good operators. Quite often, I'm of the opinion you leave that person as as a good salesperson unless mm. they are sure that they want to make the step into yeah. sales management. Yeah, and that's where I think a mistake's made sometimes by people who maybe. You know, know that they're good at sales, but they move into management, but don't understand how to, how to deal with people, yeah. and they become micromanagers, or they they just don't get it. Blow up, day. Yeah. yeah, they blow up. Yeah, yeah. so I, it, for me, a lot of it comes down to aptitude and attitude. And um, there's so, a, what yeah. what specifically about aptitude and attitude do you yeah. look for when yeah. you're recruiting a sales team? So I, I tend to look for someone who's got a um, desire to learn. And, how, and do you, how do you look for that in a interview type situation? So you know, I, I look for for. So I'm just trying to remember the question that I asked because it's it's, it's quite targeted, and you you mm. can get a you can get a quite a, a you, you get to understand really, and it's it's pretty basic. What have you learned in the last couple of years? Mm. And if they don't, if they can't think of anything, it tells me that they're not they're not really focused on developing themselves. And if, if someone comes, you know, to the, t- you know, I've, I've, I've done this, this and this over the years and this is why I've done it and they give you the reason why they've done certain courses or they've, they've been able to um, develop certain experiences as well, I think that's pretty key in understanding whether someone's got the right capability and attitude to, mm. to, to wanting to learn and, and whether they're going to be successful too. I like that. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, what I'd also like to understand, mm. because I have, um, I go into organisations and there are people there yeah. that often there are people there and they might have new managers or they might be looking to me to try and help someone who's very, very good at what they do, take them to another level or whatever the case is, mm. right? But some of these people are quite good at sales, but that's all they're ever going to do mm-hmm. and they don't really want to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've come up against that in yeah. your management career. Yep. How do you deal with those people? In, in a positive way, I mean, yeah. I don't mean that someone should be fixed. The career salesperson? Yeah. 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 I think you need to, well, what do you think they need? Well, what I look for with, with, a, with a career salesperson type is, is what is the skill set that they've got? Well, what, and how do they go about, A, their account management, their, um, their, their pipeline, stuff like that? What do they, what do they actually do to go and, go and create that? Because, you know, you don't want someone who's just going to plod along or waiting to be told what to do because they're, they're going to be a, a drain on your business essentially yeah. or your manager's time yeah. who are managing them. They're going to spend more time with them rather than, you know, coaching other people or, or, the, or the people who are more successful. Um, so it, 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 that's my distinguishing fact is when I look for people is, is what is their process? How do they go about it? You know, and quite often I'll say, you know, if I give you the keys today, what's your next six months look like? What are you going to do? 
And in, in what I'm looking for there is, yeah, I'm going to review, you know, my territory's business, what that looks like, who am I doing the business with, who are the key customers, and where are the relationships at with those people, and what sort of opportunities are there within, within that territory. But also, well, how are you going to do that is the next question. Well, I'm going to go and talk to, you know, I'll be wanting to talk to you, want to talk to this person, understand more about it. The person that goes, I'll, I'll just go and do this, I guess, and they're not thinking about utilising people within the business. You want those people who are collaborators mm. and that are, are, are going to use people to their, not exploitation, mm. but people who will use people around them to, for the to greater, actually. For the greater good, mate. Exactly, Charlie. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, lo- I love what, I love how you describe that and I mm-hmm. hope that others learn from that. What have been your biggest learnings? There's many of them, Charlie, and I always say to people that when, you know, one of the things where if I haven't enjoyed a job or I've moved on from another job because I've left the job because I haven't enjoyed it or or I've sought out another opportunity is I've always learned something from that and whether that's something not to do or or aspects of that. And that's when I suppose I left, when I left Merck and went to IAMA, there were certain learnings that I took out of there around you know, the process of managing people, not that I was managing people at the time, but I saw that as my next career step. Yeah, right, okay. And I, yeah. I was quite, I suppose, looking at how people manage people and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and what, I know, were the, what were the two or three things that you identified to yourself? Because I think, you know, if we talk to each other, if we talk to ourselves yeah. in a constructive sort of way, or I'm not going to do that yeah. because I've seen it how it can really end up badly. Yeah. Um, or, or, or against your values, mm. then the, the, the depth that you can take yourself and to ensure that you don't do that again, yeah. I think is very, very strong, right? Far more so than reading it in a journal or article or a book or getting tested on it. Correct. So, so when you're anchored, what, what were some of those anchors for you that says, geez, I'm not doing that? Well, one of the biggest learnings for me is, is you know, a sales rep is a, essentially uh, an autonomous person, yeah. but they're a part of a team. There's a sales team. And one of the biggest learnings for me is, is, is making sure that people feel like they're a part of a team and, and making sure that there's a good team environment um, because at the end of the day, if someone's out there doing it and they're solo but they're not utilising the, the greater good of the team, then it, it, it can be, a, you know, a bit of a negative to the, to the business. So team environment for me is pretty key and that's something that I look to and but also when I was a salesperson was I don't profess to know everything but ask good questions of my peers mm. and, and how are you doing that what do you do to win that or you know that sort of aspect of of being collaborative with you, with your peers and um, not thinking that you you know everything mm. and, um, and just being a sponge listening is listening is probably one of the biggest skills that salespeople need to need mm. to be really really good at because you, you know, well, we both know Oscar and, and just mm. some of the stuff that he says, listen for what the, the, the spoken word, what is actually being said here yeah, rather funny. than, and I think a lot of a mistake that I quite often commonly see is people go into a sales discussion and they'll be trying to preempt the conversation or be thinking about the next question they want to ask mm. and they don't take the pause or the, help me understand what you just said there, Charlie, yeah. and they don't dive in deeper. And I think that's where listening skills, so team and listening are probably two key things 
for, for me. Mm. It's making sure you've got the right team environment so everyone feels like they're a, a part of the business and that they understand the business, what's going on, they collaborate, and then being a bloody good listener. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy. No. That's for sure. I consider myself a lifelong learner. Yep. And um, the things that I say that I've learned most about in the last two years has been listening and, and, and also breathing because breathing helps you listen better yeah. for a start. And uh, I just think that better listeners make not just better salespeople but better human beings. And I think everyone should aspire to be a better human being. Yeah. Anyway. I concur with you, mate. Yeah. Yeah. So what about some of the other environments you've been in that you've learned a lot in? Because there's that saying by Mahatma Gandhi. Yep. He says, you learn more from experience than you ever gain from a book. Yeah. We've both read a few textbooks. Yes. Um, but um, I'm interested in your learnings from your experience. And, and, and most often we learn more from our bad experiences yep. than our good experiences. Yeah. Well, I th- yeah, one, one that certainly comes to mind if you know, we're talking about sales here is um, is the question of price and people get so hung up on price I've got to be the cheapest or I've got to have the the best price in the marketplace and I'm breathing deeply here John. Oh, yeah. Breathing deeply. yeah yeah and and so you know I worked for Bayer for, for, for 12 years and when I became business unit manager there you know we had a situation where we had all, all sorts of levels of different contract pricing and it became pretty evident to me we're in a spiral We'll go, we were on the spiral. We had very little differentiation in product. So we were like genericized, mm-hmm. you could say. And, and it became very evident there that, you know, the way we were going to, that I wanted the business to change was we had to move, move from being a product-orientated business. And when you think of these large pharmaceutical animal health type companies, it, it's about product. The product is the, is the differentiator or it's the, Bayer had done a, 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 what do you call it, some research across the whole business, pharmaceutical, diagnostics and whatever at that stage. And, and what came out from, from consumers was Bayer was good for killing bugs and drugs. So we're, we're good. But what we needed to do in animal health, in livestock in particular, the area that I ran, was we didn't have much differentiation in our unique in, in product uniqueness. I had to shift us from being a product-oriented business to a, a more customer-focused business. So brought in key account management which we didn't have at the time. So yeah. created like a key account management structure. Yep. Through the, the the external guy that I um, had brought in to, to facilitate that training, he shared an article with us based on, on selling value, and it's called the Owens Corning metric. And it, 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 it sort of crystallised to me this whole value. And, it, and it, there's, a, there's a thing called DVP, differential value proposition. And, and so I, I sort of got this and thinking, and I was actually on a flight from, from Sydney to to um, to Germany, and I was reading this article, and I'm thinking, there's more to this than just key account management and, and that sort of thing. So I I took it upon myself to really look at how we could change what we were doing. So and, and the essence of the article was along the lines of think of the value that you sell that your business delivers to clients to customers, and so. Look at an internal hypothesis. What does what is the value? So it could be your customer service, your trading terms, your your salespeople, your product, that sort of stuff. So, and then literally go and have a conversation with the customer, but say to them, you know, I'm not here to solve any problems. I'm just here to listen to you. What do you value by doing business with Bayer at the time? It was, and then saying to them, you know, if we had X amount of dollars, million bucks, where would you want us to 
where's the opportunity? And actually getting the customer to tell you what is, what is, what is the opportunity. So getting that internal hypothesis lined up with the customer's view of your value and then working out, okay, what is the differential? What's the customer seeing? And then basically taking that with the opportunity that they give you to then work with them on helping them achieve their goals. So it's literally, okay, what are the investments we can make in the customer's business that is going to be differential to, to the customer's next best alternative to me? Nice. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, you know, I suppose to talk in high-level high terms, with one customer of ours, we went from being a middle-tier supplier in regards to turnover to number two in value that we actually delivered to them in 18 months. Wow. And they were quite astonished by it. But it was the opportunity that they gave us. We would spend probably $200,000 with this customer just in marketing money that yeah. we would accrue to spend within their business. And rather than... But you only made that back out of margin, so it's not... It's yeah, not yeah. Like the, the return on investment... Yeah. I'm, I'm sure would have satisfied a few key criteria for you. It was, was excellent at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so it was the, the opportunity that they gave us, we just directed that, redirected those funds that we would normally spend on horse races or, you know, promotions yeah. or giveaways and stuff like that, actually into tangible stuff that they, um, they actually asked us to invest in their own salespeople. Yeah. Right. So someone like you, I got a, a third-party guy in um, to deliver a sales training program yeah. across their whole network of yeah, stores, nice. of stores. Yeah. And, and and in that 18 months we were able to shift the dial to to um you know take our position in their business to another level i just i really like that about the, I, I like the thinking that mm-hmm. that you and bayer came up with there and because uh, it can it can have a profound difference yep. from your position in the marketplace um how how are you seeing that play out yep. in um, your more recent uh, career in the building materials game? Massive opportunity, massive opportunity because you know it, it's um, what would I say? You know, having worked in a couple of pharmaceutical companies where professional selling skills is is something that's first and foremost, and whereas I think in the where I am now is the there's not a lot of investment made in that area and there's a lot of improvement that can be made, I believe, in, in just in simple account management and... and um, I think that's the key. You, you, and, and you can lead customers. Yeah. And that, that's what I see as the opportunity, is the opportunity to actually lead customers in a, in a way that is is beneficial for both of you. Mm. And, but it's also, I'm a big proponent of asking the question of the customer, what's your objectives? What are you aiming to achieve? Yeah. And then lining, okay, how can I help this guy to achieve what he needs to do? Yeah, managing your resources where, and capability around that. Whether that's a private business owner yeah. who might be, just help me train my staff. Just make sure that my staff know exactly what they need to do, know about you know, floor levelling compounds or waterproofing membrane or silicons and stuff like that, to a corporate who might have a number of stores where we can actually change the... I suppose have more of a greater impact about the holistic approach that we offer to them and the yeah. value, and so it's that quantification of value at the end of the day. I see, and it's a challenge that I've got on my books at the moment. Yeah, right, is yeah, taking right. us from being um, changing the dynamic of thinking about price every day to thinking about value. Yeah, yeah. and it's a bit like you've probably heard a total cost of ownership. Yeah, it's, it's not getting right. into that depth, but no, it's, no. But I think that that's a journey. 
for all organisations. There's a journey for all sales teams, and it needs to start somewhere. Yeah, I I have seen the most sophisticated and worked in the most sophisticated sales organisations that wish they had um, a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and at the other end, I've worked with really um, unsophisticated but really successful sales organisations as well. Yeah, and everyone is at a different place on their mm. journey, which I. That's not the word I love, but yeah. um, towards improvement mm-hmm. or continuous improvement and thinking about it strategically with the help of um, textbooks, with the help of banging your head against the wall, yeah. with the help of getting external third parties in if you need to, it's all part of that learning and getting better process. Correct. Yeah. I think the, the ones that I see really, really struggle is when they think they know everything. Yeah. And um, a good friend of mine says... When, when I hear the phrase, it's the way we've always done it, his ears just prick out because he knows there's improvement in it. And the world keeps moving, whether we like it or not. Sean, I've enjoyed this conversation and I'm conscious of your time and that the pub opens soon. Um, <laughs> can I just, um, two, two final questions. Yeah. One, one, how do you think sales has changed in the last 12 or so months with the advent of COVID? And or has it changed terribly much? Well, for me, in the business I'm in now, in the building products game, I don't believe it's changed hugely. How we communicate's changed. Yep. Um, essentially, in that, you know, tool, tools like MS Teams, Zoom, that sort of thing is, is, is probably starting to grow a lot more. I don't believe it's, it's an everyday factor of... of um, of our salespeople's lives apart from the internal communication that we make yeah, with them. Yeah. Well, that's a big part of yeah. it, though, yeah. Yeah, particularly with lockdowns and stuff like that and, and, and so on. But I think the, the one-to-one communication with customers is probably essentially still the same as long. And, and when lockdown happened last year, we, we were very quick to say to our people, you know, stay at home. But if, if the customer is willing to see you, obviously you've got to take all the precautions that you have or if you need to go to a job site, because some of our stuff is you know, technical yeah, specifications on job site and stuff like that. So it, it's, you know, just making sure that the customer, A, is happy to see you and if or if you can do it via, via electronic means, do it mm. and, and that sort of thing. So I think that, that essentially has certainly changed and people's adoption of it. The older generation probably struggle with it the most, whereas the younger ones, have it's, it's fluid for them. They, mm. they do this stuff every day. Um, do you think much is lost between... When you can't, and if you can't get in front of someone, you can't get in front of them. Mm. But do you think much of it's lost? I don't think so. In that filter? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so because a lot of people are used to speaking on the telephone and having yeah. a conversation on the phone. And I think if you can, if you got the right questions and you know how to engage with the customer or you've got, you're ringing for a reason yeah. and not just ringing to have a chat and you've got an objective or whatever as part of the call, then, you know, the phone can be just as, efficient as face-to-face call as well and that's where i think part of that is changing where travel budgets might not be as generous as what they used to be Mm. and that people will not be you know if you're a sales rep and you've got to go out to you in sydney and you've got canberra as your territory you might not go to canberra as often as you were going to yeah and that sort of thing or the riverina or wherever it is and and so i think that aspect is will change where you know whether the customer expectation changes for that as well and how often they mm. they want to see you too. 
Mm. Apart from that, I don't see yeah. massively wholesale changes. How? I nearly forgot this. Mm. And I was trying to listen. Or I was listening. <laughs> um, two things yep. on the back of that, right? For the last couple of minutes, you've been talking about face-to-face, yep. telephone or Zoom. Yep. That's all real-time stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about um, email and text message yep. or other forms of electronic communication, yep. your, your your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, under the platform or, or idea that the, the, the millennial, millennials get a pretty bad rap, in some respects, yeah. and I, you know, we've both got kids mm. that age, and they're moving into the workforce and those sorts of things, and that's their preferred method of communication. So, how do we balance the the, the magic of real time communication, be it phone, Zoom, or face to face, with the younger generation who communicate via uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, might call it FaceTube, other bits and pieces. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, it's a good question, Charlie. It's because um, it's on us, isn't it, to develop the future generation? We, yeah, you know, we, we didn't have any of those sorts of things, but we had to swing hard and have a crack. Yeah, and, and they'll do the same. Yeah, I think it's it, it's a it's a complementary part to it. I think you've you've always got to have that face to face interaction at some point in time, and and I, I'm always I'm a big believer in that. That's it, it's probably more than. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to waste your customer's time. No, and if he's right. happy not to see you and, and engage with you on telephone or even text message, it's 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 understanding what the custom what the customer is happy to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's understand you know, getting into the you know understanding what your customer wants from you. Yeah. And how often they want to see you, how they want to interact with you. You know, it might be a, a building site. You know foreman or something like that that you you're liaising with or or a con- contractor and he may just want to do stuff on text message yeah yep. and which is easy for him it doesn't just take him away from what he's doing it, yeah, yeah, text message, totally, yeah. stuff like that so things like that i think are, it's just an everyday part of life now where i um uh, struggle with some of the today's communication is when people ring and you've got a voicemail there and they don't leave you a voicemail but there's an expectation from that person ringing you that you will ring them back. Yeah, yeah. And so I quite often say to if someone says, oh, you didn't ring me back, you didn't leave a voicemail. That's what my voicemail's there for. Leave me a message about what you're ringing for. And so yeah. I think that's a case in point. If people are, because I'm seeing that as a real, what do you call it, something that happens day to day now. Yeah, I agree. That people ring and they, there's this expectation, I've rung them, they're going to call me back. But if you're not leaving a message about the reason you're calling for or, Wanting to interact, then you could and be you could be missing, or could be doing yourself and your customer a disservice. Yeah, I think um, I think as a salesperson, you have to leave that message. Not many times. I yeah. think one of my sayings is: you need to stay in people's world, but you need to stay out of their face. So leave a message or two over yeah. a couple of day period, or send them a text, or send them an email, yeah. or go and drop in your card, but but don't don't be in their face. Yeah, because that'll that'll piss them off yeah. and that, that, that's to my point about understanding the customer yeah, yeah. having that customer understanding and, and i suppose when i was going through my sales the early sales career i tried to position myself as an extension of the customer yeah so part of their business great mindset if if, if i could be seen as value to them then 
hopefully I'd win the business. Yeah, yeah. Or they, they would think of John Alton first and totally. foremost rather than my competitor. Yeah, yeah. And that's always the attitude that I've taken. Uh, Be, I, I, you know, I, I, have that. Well, it's, it's having that service mentality. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you one question, but I'd really love to finish on that because I think it almost begins and ends there. If you, right, have, yeah. the, if you have a service mindset mm-hmm. and you're there to, um, you know, I'll finish with a quote by Mahatma Gandhi, and that is the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself yep. in the service of others. Yeah. So thank you very much, John. I'll get you back for a future episode. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, be sure to subscribe in your podcaster so you don't miss a future episode. And whilst you're there, I'd really appreciate if you could take the time to rate and review the podcast. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Charlie.